where it says this, before he grew up before him like a tender plant, like a root, like a shoot out of the dry ground. And he had no beauty to attract us to him, yet he was despised and rejected by men, for he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace is upon him, and by his stripes or by his wounds or by his blood, we are healed. Amen. Now, let's just say for the sake of saying that someone gave those words to you and they said, now they are in the Bible, but they didn't mention where in the Bible that those words were, and, and they didn't mention who or what those words were referring to, what would you say? What would you think? And, and I, I, I can tell you what I said and what I thought when I first heard those words about 35 years ago. And I said, well, well obviously those words come out of what I as a, a Jew back then, and by the way, I'm still Jewish today and always will be, but that's another message. And, and I said, those words, I said, my gosh, you know, they must be in that New Testament because they are talking specifically about this, this Jesus who I didn't believe. Until until my, my wonderful wife, and pray for Sandy, she's under the weather, she's not here tonight, but she's here with us in spirit. And my wonderful wife, who, who gave those words to me after I said, that's your New Testament, that's your Jesus, doesn't have anything to do with us Jewish people. And she turned the Bible around, and I'd love to share this story, and she said, Jack, I just shared with you the first five verses of the 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah. She said, yeah, great. she said, now Jack, Isaiah, Jack, Isaiah, it, isn't, isn't Isaiah, isn't he on your team? <laughs> Didn't realize what the word of God actually said. And it promised right then and there this wonderful, wonderful, beautiful gift called atonement. The idea that we obviously would commit sins, and that there would be punishment for those sins. But, but here's the most profound part. We would not receive the punishment, and we did not have to pay the penalty. Now, the ancient rabbi said, well, it, it, it's obvious that, that that's referring to Israel. But here's the problem with this. Israel could not atone for the sins of itself, and neither can any of us. It has to refer to the only one who can bring our atonement tonight. And that's why we're so, so joyful. Welcome. We're glad you're here. So we begin now our service with our liturgy. I'll let you know, first of all, when we begin these, and I'll have all of us read these verses that, that I'm about to show you, because this wonderful, wonderful festival of Yom Kippur, as did Rosh Hashanah ten days ago, and as will the Feast of Tabernacles five days from now. All of these festivals and more come from that thrilling and dramatic and exciting book of the Bible. And we all just gravitate to read Leviticus. So join me, please, as we all say together, Leviticus chapter 23, verses 27 and 28, that tell us some wonderful and interesting things about the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur. Let's read it together. The tenth day of the seventh month is Yom Kippur. You are to have a holy convocation, deny yourselves, 
and bring a fire offering to the Lord. Do no work on this day. Why? Because it is Yom Kippur to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. And one of the most exciting things tonight is we're going to find out what that atonement really means. It's better than any of us could have ever expected. We continue now because verses about Yom Kippur are also found elsewhere in Leviticus, we're getting to 16, but also here in Numbers chapter 29, verses 7 through 8. Let's read it together. The tenth day of the seventh month is a holy convocation. You are to deny yourselves and do no work, but present a burnt offering to the Lord to make a fragrant aroma. One young bull, one ram, and seven male lambs in their first year, they are to be without defect for you. Can you imagine the concept or the idea of an innocent, spotless, blameless lamb being used as a sacrifice to provide atonement for the people? And as we go on right now, I'll ask that you would all please stand. You would all please rise. It's very, very common on festivals and sometimes on Shabbat to recite or say a prayer called the the Amidah. And the reason that you're all standing is because the Amidah, no surprise, is called or referred to as the standing prayer. What I'll do is I'll ask all of us to read it in the English and then I'll chant it for us and the original Hebrew because there's a word in there I think you'll find very interesting. But let's read it together. Blessed are you, Lord our God and God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the great, mighty, and awesome God who bestows loving kindness, creates all things, who remembers the piety of the patriarchs, and who, in love, brings a redeemer to their children's children for his own name's sake. Remember us for life, King who desires life. Inscribe us in the book of life, O living God. You are a helper, savior, and a shield. Blessed are you, O Lord, shield of Abraham. You are mighty forever, O Lord. You restore the living, you resurrect the dead, you are mighty to save. Isn't it interesting that a traditional Hebrew prayer speaks about resurrection and salvation? Because this prayer always did and always will refer to the one who was resurrected and brings about our salvation. So it really should continue to say this. It was you, Yeshua, who resurrected the dead when you brought Lazarus alive from the grave. John 11, 43 through 44 tells us, You cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Yeshua said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Amen. Now, your part. Only kidding. I'll take this for us, because what we've all just said is this in the Hebrew, much of it. And if you know the tune, you can feel free to sing it along with me. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu Eloheinu, Come, <laughs> 
Sonek nofnim verofe holim umatiras gurim Humikayim unoto lishene afar Mihikam uchayav ergevoror umeidomerach Merech benitum chaye umatsmiyach Listen to this last word, Yeshua Amen. Hallelujah. Since you're all standing, let us now all recite or sing the holiest prayer in all of the Bible from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kemot Malchuto
And that one day, he will return, and all will know it, your part. Zechariah 12.10 says, I will pour out the spirit of grace and prayer on the house of David and all Jerusalem. They will look upon me whom they have pierced and mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. The scriptures also tell us that Yeshua is our once and for all sacrifice. His one death atones for the sins of all your part. Hebrews 10.10 says, We have been separated, set apart for God and made holy through the offering of Yeshua the Messiah's body. The scriptures also tell us that Yeshua is now our high priest who brings our petitions to God the Father. Hebrews 8, 1-3 says, We have such a high priest, he sits at the right hand of God in heaven, where he serves in the holy place, in the true tent of meeting, the one erected not by human beings, but by the Lord himself. And finally, the scriptures tell us that Yeshua was innocent of any and all sin, but took sin upon himself so that we might be a holy people. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. If we continue our service, while this is oftentimes referred to as a Yom Kippur service, or Erev Yom Kippur, and of course at sundown the festival began, this service tonight is also referred to as a Kol Nidre service. The words Kol Nidre mean all oaths or all vows. And the whole idea behind this is that while initially we should be encouraged to make an oath or make a vow to the Lord of holiness and that we would walk in righteousness, in reality we are imperfect people. And what happens sometimes more often than not is we make promises that we can't keep. And so the whole spirit of the, the Kol Nidre service is, is not to say something or do something that we cannot reach, that we cannot attain, but we allow the Lord to work on us. We're going to do the reading of the Kol Nidre, and the Kol Nidre itself is really the beautiful cornerstone prayer or song of Yom Kippur. In fact, there are many people who come to a Yom Kippur service just to hear the singing and the chanting of the Kol Nidre service, which we're going to be doing in just a few minutes. But let's read this all together. All vows, obligations, and oaths which we may vow or swear or pledge, or where we may be bound, from this day of atonement until the next, we do repent. May they be deemed absolved, forgiven, annulled, and void, and may of no effect. They shall not bind us nor have power over us. The vows shall not be vows, the obligation shall not be obligatory, nor the oaths be oaths. And remember a few minutes ago, I said that the Tanakh and the Brit Hashanah were all one book because Yeshua upheld this Torah principle when he said in Matthew 5, 33-37, You have heard it said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but fulfill your vow to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, or for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You're about to watch a video 
of the Kol Nidre prayer being given at a service several years ago from Park Avenue Synagogue, one of the largest Reformed Jewish synagogues in the United States in New York. The Kol Nidre prayer that you're about to watch and hear the singing of is about six minutes or so long. And what I want you to do, even though every word you'll, you'll be hearing is in the Hebrew, I don't want you to worry about translating the words. We already did hear the prayer that we said in English. But this is said in a beautiful synagogue, very, very traditional Jewish. And I want you to get the entire, shall we say, atmosphere of a New York synagogue on the high holy days because it's, it's a little different from where we are now in Phoenix, Arizona. So we'll put that video on for you and enjoy. Oh, 
She's coming. So uh, let me introduce you. This is mom and dad, uh, Justin and Alejandro. And this wonderful, wonderful gift of life they are holding in their hands. This is beautiful. I want to introduce you to Eliezer, who is a nice Jewish name, by the way, who is going to be four weeks old this coming Tuesday. And, and I brought him down here, I brought the family up here for, for two reasons. Uh, number one, because they, all of you, and oh my gosh, what, what, a, what a beautiful child. But I, I, you know, I said at a Yom Kippur service, we always should have some special recognition for the youngest attender, and I think he's got everybody beat. <laughs> Amen? So, what I'd like to do, and mom and dad have already agreed, and. Eliezer has agreed by proxy, is what I'm going to do in a minute. I'm going to say a blessing over him. And I'll ask, since this is a service where all can participate, if you would extend your hands out toward this wonderful, wonderful child, so that he may be blessed on this all-important night 
of Yom Kippur. And even though I'll say this blessing in a little while for all of us before we close, I want to say it over Eliezer first, and for mom and dad, uh, for Justin and for Alejandra, may, may God shine his blessing of love and grace and peace upon you. May he go, may he be above you to, to shine his light down upon you. May he go behind you to encourage you and lift you up. And may he go before you to show you the way. And as parents, in walking this wonderful halachah this way, may you train up Eliezer in the way that he should go. And little Eliezer, we just want to let you know that all of us are in agreement that may the Lord bless you and bless you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord our God lift up his countenance upon you. May he grant you his peace. He's yawning. I hope I'm not boring you, little Elijah. I'll say it in the Hebrew. Shalom. What a beautiful child. Thank you, Mom and Dad. Thank you, everyone. Praise the Lord. Amen. As we continue on in our service, it's also traditional at the service to ask God for forgiveness, even though as believers, we already know that it's coming, but we don't take it for granted. To ask the Lord for forgiveness of the sins that we've committed in the past year that we might be aware of, that we might not be aware of. But it is our heart of repentance that turns to the Lord. In Hebrew, we call it the Alchit, and we say all of these together. For the sin which we have committed before you under duress or willingly, and for the sin which we have committed before you by hard-heartedness. For the sin which we have committed before you, Lord, with an utterance of the lips. And for the sin which we have committed before you with immorality. For the sin which we have committed before you by insincere confession. And for the sin which we have committed before you intentionally or even unintentionally. For the sin which we have committed before you by using coercion. And for the sin which we have committed before you by desecrating your name. For the sin which we have committed before you openly or secretly. And for the sin which we have committed before you through our speech. For the sin which we have committed before you by deceiving a fellow man. And for the sin which we have committed before you by improper thoughts. For the sin which we have committed before you by impurity of speech. And for the sin which we have committed before you by foolish talk. For the sin which we have committed before you with a yetzerah, evil inclination. And for the sin which we have committed before you knowingly or unknowingly. And here's the most important part. For all these and other sins, God, pardon, pardon us, forgive us, atone for us. Amen. I'll ask now our dance team to come forward as we worship the Lord in the dance. Thank you. 
And, and Linwood, thank you for your text. I appreciate it because, you know, uh, sometimes when I can't make it, when I cannot preach, when I cannot be here if I'm traveling, uh, uh, Linwood will preach from the pulpit. And God bless you because your sermons and your messages are so anointed. I, I, I thank the Lord for you. And uh, so I, 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 I received your text this afternoon saying, are, are you still in Tucson? Uh, are you coming back? And I said, yeah, and, and I said, I'll be there in time, but I didn't realize how much time would be used up, not by your text, but for a phone call that I got about two minutes afterward. Uh, came on my phone and I answered it, and it was from a family of Messianic believers who are normally in Santa Fe, New Mexico, but they found themselves here because the husband, it's a husband and a wife, and, and uh, I guess a five or a six year old son. He has non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and he's here in the area to go to the Mayo Clinic for treatment. And uh, it's, it's, we, we prayed over the phone, and he said, Rabbi, we found ourselves in an awful mess because we were supposed to have the treatments they were supposed to end. We were supposed to go back to Santa Fe, but as it ends up, we're going to be here for a couple of days, and we're running out of money. And I said, okay, I said, let me do my due diligence and check these things out because just in case you don't know, and this happens with a lot of ministries, if you are a ministry in Arizona, because we're such a transient state, and there's something about Arizona where unfortunately many, many people come here and they don't bring any money and they just think everything's going to be okay and God will provide it. People do that in Israel too. And since our, I don't know, since our you know, geography and temperature are the same, they do the same thing here. And so we get a lot of those calls and I said, well, let me just check things out. And so I called the Mayo Clinic and they said, yes, this is the case and this family is in need. So I called the family back. I said, what do you need? They said, the first thing we need is prayer. I said, praise the Lord. They said, the second thing we need is food. And I said, we're going to make sure you have it. And so uh, on, on the way back, I stopped off. I changed none of my way here. I went over to, uh, to uh, the, the Albertsons and brought them food cards and gave them the food cards. And I, and I met the, the, the wife outside with her son, and she just had tears running down her eyes. And she made me start to cry, too, because I realized that, well, it's wonderful to do this at any time. It's even more wonderful when you can do this on Yom Kippur. When you can truly live out the festival, not just simply finding and understanding the information, if you will, about the significance of the sacrifice and what atonement is really all about, but what this is really all about. The greatest commandment of all, loving the Lord our God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. We can't truly love our neighbor if we don't love the Lord, and we can't truly love the Lord if we don't love our neighbor. And so I just wanted to share that with you tonight as Yom Kippur comes and the sun is now long set that while the celebration of Yom Kippur may be for a number of us for the next 24 hours to have a fast or however the Lord leads you, the most important thing that we can do is love him with all our hearts, soul, strength, and mind and show love to our neighbor just as we do ourselves. This, of course has always been a very, very special time of the year for our congregation and also for us. But it was around this same time of year, a few years back, I think I'm going back, I don't know, eight, nine, maybe even ten years ago, when I took a bad fall on my bicycle during the time of Yom Kippur. And many of you know, you know, if you want to find Rabbi Jack, you know, just, just look for him on the street somewhere. I understand what you mean. It's because I'm riding my bike. 
And uh, what, what, one day, I, I was over in the area of um, uh, Peoria and I-17, and I decided to ride my bike to where my daughter Casey was living at the time, which is the area of like Greenway and 7th Street. It's not a bad ride at all. And uh, I took some work with me from Jewish Voice and put it in a canvas bag. I said, let me put the canvas bag on my handlebars so that I can ride the bike and I've got my work with me. And I didn't pay attention to the fact that this was a long canvas bag that hung down from the candle, uh, the, the handlebars and, and was right there kind of banging against the spokes of my bicycle. And I'm not thinking anything about it at all. And I'm riding and riding and just at the point where I get to top speed, the bag did not simply bang against the spokes. It came in between the spokes of the front wheel, immediately freezing up the front wheel of the bicycle. But of course, my back wheel was still going. And if you know anything about physics, you know that this does not have a good ending. And so because the back wheel was still going and the front wheel stopped in essence, the back of the bike went up in the air, throwing me in a somersault in midair and me landing, slamming to the ground. My bike helmet split in two, my clothes were ripped off, and I'm lying there on my back in the street. And it must have been out for a couple minutes because as, as, I, as I looked up, people were already gathered around me. And they're looking down at me, and my only thought was, I hope nobody recognizes me. <laughs> because I really don't want to be seen looking like this. And at one point, one of the women standing over me says, Are you okay? Aren't you Rabbi Chad? <laughs> and I'm thinking, Oh, yeah, this is great. And she says, let me call an ambulance for you. And when I heard that, I'm thinking, no, no, no. When I heard that, I immediately got up off the ground and stood straight up to show that I was just fine. Thank you so much. And to further get the woman not to call the ambulance, I decided to quickly change the subject and engage in some casual chit-chat while blood is coming out of my ear and onto my clothes. And I'm basically a mess. I said, how do you know me? I asked. She said, well, you, you, you know, you spoke at my church last month. I said, oh, really? Which one? She said, Pathway. I said, oh, yes. Pastor Jeff McAfee. Isn't he a great guy? Yeah, he's great. The blood is still coming down. And she said, she said, so Rabbi Jack, how have you been? <laughs> I'm like, great. Better than ever. Totally in denial. Again, she says, okay, I'm going to call an ambulance for you. I said, no, 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 don't do that. I don't need an ambulance. Here, take my cell phone. Just call my wife. Here's her number. Her name is Sandy. Just tell her what happened. Wrong thing for me. <laughs> so Sandy answers the phone, and the lady says, hi, Sandy. My name is Lori. And before another word, the next thing I hear is Sandy's voice on the other end of the phone saying, Lori, who? Where is my husband and why are you calling on his cell phone? And I'm thinking, Lord, just take me now. <laughs> 
Because this has now gone from bad to worse. The woman said, listen, your husband's here. He had a bike accident. Sandy said, oh my gosh, where are you? And she gave her the address. And Sandy, Sandy came, and my wonderful wife rescued me, and she took me to the hospital. I got my left ear sewed up, and all was good. Now, to this day, I'm still missing a teeny tiny piece of my left ear. Rabbi, we never noticed. Of course you didn't, because it's really hard for anybody to notice, because my hair tends to cover it up. One of the benefits of being raised Jewish, yet having something within me that, 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 and I had for many, many years, I had an afro. It was great. And I still have some of the remnants of that. I was the only Jew in high school who had an afro. And I loved it. But, but, but I know that the injury is there because I, you know, I know it's there, but it can't be seen. But it doesn't mean that just because it can't be seen, that it's removed or eradicated and that it's gone away. Most, if not all of us, for example, have scars or injuries or hurts of some type. They may be physical. They, they may be not Things in our lives, for example, that may have affected us perhaps emotionally. And unless we say something to others about it, nobody else knows. Nobody else can see them. But we know that those things haven't gone away. We know they're still there. Covering up a hurt certainly helps. But wouldn't it be great if something that you were afflicted with or carrying with you wasn't just hidden. What if it was gone? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be so much better if we didn't have to hide what we're carrying? But if it could be eradicated and gone for good. And I'm sharing this with you because for years, some of us have been under this misconception regarding Yom Kippur, and it's a big one. I mean, we know the basics, and if you don't, let me give it to you, because here's what happened on Yom Kippur in ancient times. This is what happened on this day thousands of years ago. Ancient Israel, the 10th day of the month of Tishrei, the seventh month every year, the high priest at the tabernacle or the temple would remove his regular garments, and then he would wash his hands and feet in the wash basin, he put on then special linen garments, and then he would sacrifice a bull for himself and the other priests. He would then go inside to the inner tent, the Holy of Holies, and sprinkle the blood from the bull on the mercy seat covering the ark. And after he did that, if you're following me, he'd then go back outside and cast lots for two goats to see which one would be sacrificed on behalf of of the people, and then he'd enter the Holy of Holies a second time, sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat yet once again, and then as if that weren't enough, he'd sacrifice two more animals, two rams, one for himself, another ram for the people, and the day ended with the removal of the animal carcasses to a place outside the camp where they'd be burned, your sins are atoned for, boom, there it is. And it's likely that you've been told that this is a part of the story where your sins have been cleansed and therefore, since they've been cleansed, they're eradicated, they're gone, they've disappeared, they are no more. An innocent, spotless animal has just paid the price for your sins, our sins, and now because of the blood that it shed, our sins are gone. It's a great story. There's just one problem with it. It's not entirely true. Do you know what the words Yom Kippur actually mean? 
Many people think, well, it's, it's used synonymously as the Day of Atonement, and, and that's true. But what does that actually mean? The Hebrew word yom means the day of. And the Hebrew word kippur comes from the Hebrew root word kafar, which doesn't so much mean atonement as it does covering. So it's actually the day of covering. This is the day that God covers your sins. But you see, it's kind of a play on words because it refers to the blood of the animal sacrifice being sprinkled on the cover of the mercy seat. And as a result, your sins were atoned for or covered. Think about that every Yom Kippur in ancient times. Sins were never completely removed. They were just covered over or covered up. So the idea that animal sacrifices actually took away your sins it's not true. It never happened. The Bible says that it could not have happened because in Romans 10.4 we're told it's impossible. Listen to this. Actually in Hebrews 10.4, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away your sins. Impossible. Never happened. So best case scenario back then, the wrongs and the hurts that we committed weren't gone, they weren't removed, they weren't eradicated, they were just simply covered up. And while maybe no one else knew about them, we knew because the effects were still there, still with us. Look, you run, you fall, you put a bandage on the wound, you put the bandage over, you don't see the injury, but the minute you take the bandage off, you can see it. The wound isn't gone, it's still there, there's just something covering it all. And here's something else that was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to do. They couldn't cover your sins permanently. Remember, this festival came every year, still does, of course, like all of the festivals. So every year, another animal was sacrificed, and then the year after that, the year after that, the year after that, animals sacrificed and so on. Every single year, your sins were covered by the animal sacrifices, but just temporarily. After 365 days, or 366 and a leap year, done, over with, gone, it's expired. You've got to do it all over again. And there's still one more thing that was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to do. Even though one goat was sacrificed by the priests to make atonement for the people, Numbers chapter 29 tells us that each family also had to offer up for sacrifice. Get a load of this, more animals. A young bull, a ram, seven male lambs, and a male goat on top of that. So let's all add all this up. In ancient times, each year on Yom Kippur, every family, families on their own, we're not even talking about the animals that are about to be sacrificed by the priests, but every family had to sacrifice ten animals. Then the priest would slaughter four more, remember two rams, two goats. The effect was only temporary and your sins were still there. They were just covered up. Couldn't there be a better way? <sighs> Ready for some good news? There always was a better Amen. way. Let me tell you how much better it was and still is. Number one, while over the centuries, if you do the math or even if you don't, it still works out the same. 
Over the centuries, it's estimated that tens of thousands of animals had to die. With the better way, not one animal, not one, had to be sacrificed. Number two, with the better way, it was and still is just one sacrifice for everybody. Wow. Number three, it didn't have to be done every single year. And number four, and here's the best part, with this one sacrifice, again, best part, your sins weren't just covered up. They were and are removed, eradicated. They're gone. They're gone. And the beautiful part of all this is that there's nothing for you to see under the bandage anymore for one very obvious reason. You don't have a bandage anymore because there's nothing to cover up anymore. And that's why there is tonight to celebrate the better way. I want to close with these verses in Scripture that talk about it. Just, just listen, just listen. I was thinking of putting Hebrews 10, verses 1 through 12 up on the screen. I thought about it, but then I said, you know what? Sometimes we get so much more out of Scripture when rather than focusing on reading the words, we just listen to someone else saying them and enunciating and emphasizing certain parts so that these words can minister to our souls. So let me bless you that way. Here's what they say. The Torah has a shadow of the good things to come, not the form itself, but the realities. For this reason, it can never, by means of the same sacrifices they offer constantly year after year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers who were cleansed once and for all would no longer even have consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, as a reminder, year after year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And so when Messiah comes into the world, he says, sacrifice and offering you didn't desire, but a body you prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not delight. And then I said, behold, I come to do your will, O God. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. And after saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sin offerings you didn't desire, nor did you delight in them, those which are offered according to Torah. Then he said, behold, I come to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second. By his will, through his sacrifice, we have been made holy through the offering of a bull, no, a goat? No. A ram? No. By the offering of the body of Messiah Yeshua one time and for all. Indeed, every priest stands day by day serving and offering the same sacrifices again and again over and over, which can never take away sins. But on the other hand, when this one offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. We celebrate tonight and we dance with joy tonight and our worship 
team sings with joy tonight because we celebrate the better way. A better way that some people, when they discover it, they're absolutely amazed. And I have to share this story with you as I close this message. Some years ago, when our congregation was in another location, we used to use the facilities of Biltmore Church of the Nazarene on 24th Street, just north of Camelback in South Lincoln. This goes back quite a ways. And uh, back in the day, we really weren't doing any advertising, if, if you will. It was mostly word of mouth. I think it's kind of still word of mouth today. And I remember one day, and I'll be showing my age with this part of the story. I remember one day we got a call from the Yellow Pages representative. <laughs> okay, so let me explain. For those of you under the age of 150, there used to be a publication known as the Yellow Pages, and you got that for free. It was delivered to your door along with the White Pages, and these were phone books. And with the White Pages, you could look up the phone numbers of people, and with the Yellow Pages, you could look up the phone numbers of various businesses, and they were listed in there in alphabetical order. Of course, that was a mere child, but, but anyway, you can look up businesses, and the Yellow Pages representative called me, and he said, I would like to come over to your congregation and talk and find out maybe if you would like a listing in the Yellow Pages or an ad or something like that. And he came over to the congregation, and I met with him, and he said, what would you like to do? He said, now, now Rabbi Jack, he said, uh, there are two different categories that you can be in. You can either be in the category that says churches, or you can be in the kind of category that says synagogues. Which one would you like to be in? I said, put us in the category of synagogues, because, you know, we, we are we're a Jewish congregation, and, and so I want you to put us in the category of synagogues, because I, I want the Jewish community to know us and to recognize us and to find their true savior. He said, sounds like we're a church. I said, well, could you just put us in to the category of synagogues? You don't have to complicate everything. And he said, well, I'll see what I can do. Oh, oh don't worry, it gets better. <laughs> so, so he called me about two days later. And uh, he said, he said, Rabbi Jack, I'm sorry we have to put you in you know, classification, the category of churches. I said, okay, you know, that's fine. I said, Lord, you know, you got this. So it's okay, stop, it gets even better. So he called me three days later and he said, he said, Rabbi Jack, he said, listen, uh, I owe you an apology. I said, oh? He said, yes. He said, well, well we, we intended to put you in that category of churches, like I said, we, we screwed up and we ended up putting you in the category of synagogues instead. And I said, oh. <laughs> And he said, because of the mess up, we're not going to charge you for the listing. And I said, oh. And so because he put us in the category of synagogues, when the time of the, the you know, the festivals on High Holy Days came around, we were getting phone calls. We were getting phone calls from people, you know, wanting to know where they would come to worship on the High Holy Days of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And uh, probably uh, when, when, for example, even growing up, when, when my family decided where we wanted to go on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, normally it was to our synagogue, Temple Bethel, Manhattan Beach, Brooklyn. But, but thank you so much, the person from Wisconsin. But anyway, Temple Bethel, Manhattan Beach, Brooklyn. But what we did was, you know, we said, because, you know, this is, look, this is what we did. And, and my dad suggested, he said, look, 
why don't you call around and see who's got the best deal? <laughs> like, Dad, yeah, this is not a deal. This is Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, it's not a holy day. It's not a deal, not everything is a deal. But what we did was when we called, we would always ask this question. It was common for many of our people to ask the question. Whenever we would call a place and decide where to go to worship on the high holy days, we would say, how much are the tickets? Yeah. You remember this? And the reason that we would do this is because that seat that you sat in on, let's say every other day, Shabbat, whatever it was, that was free on Rosh Hashanah, you got to take out a second mortgage to sit there. Oh. Or on Yom Kippur, the same thing, because that was the only time of year that many congregations raised funds. They don't do collecting of tithes like we do every week and on the High Holy Day festivals. And so uh, one day I'm sitting at my desk and uh, I, I get a call. I pick up uh, I pick up the phone and I said, hello, this is Rabbi Jack. And the man says, hello, Rabbi Jack, my name is Leo. <laughs> he said, I'm from New York. <laughs> and I said, Leo, I figured that out the minute I heard your voice, brother. And he said, are you having high holiday services? I said, yes, we are. He said, how much is the tickets? I said, Leo, nothing. He said, what? But how is this possible? I said, Leo, it's, everybody charges. I said, Leo, and here's what I said, I'll never forget. I said, Leo, we here at our congregation have always felt that you shouldn't have to pay to pray. He said, I like that. <laughs> he said, when is the services? I said, it's on this night, it's on this night. He said, great, I'll be there. I said, great, he hung up the phone. And Doug Donnelly hung up the phone before I could let him know that we're congregation that believes in Yeshua. Well, <laughs> so the night of Yom Kippur comes, and I know what Leo expects because what I expected all my life as a Jew growing up, and what, what our people, and Mike, you can vouch for this as well, what we expect on Yom Kippur is when we go into the sanctuary, it is somber. There are funeral dirges, and, and when we come in, we are ashen gray, and our heads are down, and, and, and it, because we, you know, you deny yourselves because we haven't had anything to eat or drink for like five or ten minutes, and, 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 and you know, it's very, very somber, because you want the Lord to forgive you of your sin. And Leo came in, and he didn't say anything he came in and we, you know, we had the dance team and they were up there dancing and singing and, and people are just greeting one another and saying, people are coming up with all these different greetings that I hadn't even heard it before. It's great. <laughs> and we had just a wonderful, wonderful time. And at the end of the service, Leo came over to me and he said, Rabbi, I got a question. I said, I know. <laughs> He said, why is everybody so happy? This is not the usual Yom Kippur. I said, Leo, the reason we're happy is because we're not wishing and hoping and begging that God will provide atonement for our sins. He already did it. And we celebrate that. He said, we should talk more about this. And we did. And over the next couple of weeks, we went out for coffee and he asked questions and I answered questions. And within a month, that wonderful, wonderful man from New York, Leo, asked Yeshua. Praise God. 
The once and for all sacrifice did it for us, and he always will. And that's why, while there may be sadness and a, and a spirit of melancholy around the world tonight, and, and I'm not doing comparison here, I'm just saying this is why we celebrate, because we know where our true atonement comes, and it's not just the covering anymore. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. Thank you, Lord. It's Amen. Praise the Lord. As we continue in our service now, just uh, two concluding prayers. One of them will be the, the Kaddish prayer. As we are now in a new year, 5784, and we leave the year behind us, we are reminded that in this past year, we don't want to go forward to this coming year until we take one more opportunity to remind ourselves of those who could not go forward into this year with us, those relatives of ours, family, loved one who, who may no longer be here, who passed on. And so we want to honor them with a prayer. Now I want you to understand, we're not praying for the dead. That's not biblical. This particular prayer, the mourner's cottage, even though it's a prayer of mourning, there's not one word in it that has anything to do with death. On the contrary, we say this prayer because we thank Lord for the celebration of life. Well, the fact that he created that life and we had the opportunity to know that individual. So what we'll do is I'll read this for you in the English and then the part in the Hebrew, actually the original Aramaic. What I'll do when we get to that as I've done is I'll sweep my hand across the congregation, actually in this direction from that would be your right to left because that's how you read Hebrew. When my hand points over to you, if you are remembering someone who has passed over the previous year, just simply raise your hand in recognition and in honor of that individual. The English goes like this, glorified and sanctified be God's great name throughout the world which he created according to his will. May he establish his kingdom in your lifetime and in your days and in the days of the house of Israel speedily and soon. And we say, Amen. May his great name be praised forever and ever. Blessed and praised, glorified and exalted, extolled and honored, adored and lauded is the name of the Holy One, blessed be he. Beyond all the blessings and hymns, the praises and consolations that are ever spoken in the world, and we say, Amen. May there be abundant peace from heaven and life for us and for all Israel, and we say, May he who grants peace in the heavens above grant peace for us and for all Israel, and we do say, Amen. Iskadal v'iskadash me'rabah. V'yomad ibrach yoseidi amnechmal v'yoseidi. V'chayi chon v'yomei chon v'chayi v'chol beis Yisrael. V'agalau v'zman kari v'imru amen. Yehesh me'rabah mi'vorach. Yolam alom me'yomayah. Yisbarach v'yishtabach v'yisbar v'yisramam v'yisnaseh. Amen. Praise the Lord. It is to a certain extent, even though it's a prayer that celebrates life, it is to a certain extent a somber prayer. But once again, remember tonight is a celebration. 
And because of that, it's only fitting to finish our service tonight with the celebration theme, if you will, of prayer known as the Adon Olam. You can all read it together with me in the English, and when we sing, it's a wonderful, joyful, uplifting tune that we can all catch very, very quickly and send us out with joy on this night of Yom Kippur. The English says, and feel free to read it with me, Master of the universe, reigned before anything was created. When all was made by his will, he was crowned the king. And when all shall end, he alone shall reign. He was, he is, and he will be in glory. And he is a unity, and there's no other. Who can compare with him? He has no beginning or end. To him belongs dominion and power. And he is my God. To him I flee in time of grief. He is my salvation and my refuge. He answers me on the day that I call him. To him I commit my spirit when I go to sleep and when I wake up. Even if when my spirit leaves, God is with me, I shall not fear. There is one tomb. Well, there are many, many tunes to the Adol and Allah, but there's one tune that is the tune of celebration, which tonight is. And if you listen to me, you'll be able to catch it in just a minute because it's repetitive. Adon Olam, Hashem Allah. You can say it, by the way, right after I do. So, for example, Adon Olam, Hashem Allah. It's here and cold. It's here and cold. We ain't Nasa. We have so called. As I met a shimoni grow, I don't know them. They are sorry. Keep what I call. They are going to know them. They are
ואם רוחי כבייתי, אדוני ריברו וירו, אדוני We're so glad that you joined us tonight. Now, when you were here on Rosh Hashanah, afterwards you went out in the hallway, and, and what do we have on Rosh Hashanah? We had round collar with raisins, we had apples and honey and cinnamon, and how do I put this? We ain't gonna have any of that <laughs> Because on Yom Kippur, it's customary for many people to fast, so what I'm trying to say in the most loving way possible is if you go out in a fire, you get nothing. <laughs> but, but, but always when you come here, you get a whole lot of love. And I'm so, so glad that you did tonight. Want to remind you of a couple of things. Uh, by the way, like guys, we're here every week. Uh, uh, in fact, we meet on Saturday mornings, 10.30, in the building right next to us. Tonight we got the big call because, you know, it's high healthy days, big deal. And, and, in about five days from now, the festival of Sukkot, the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles is coming up. And, Linwood, I want to thank you because each and every year you and Audrey build a sukkah in the front yard of your house. I'm, I'm sorry, a sukkah gadol. This is a big sukkah. In other words, let me explain. There, there's the, it's what? Real plants. Real, real plants on the sukkah. <laughs> but here's the most incredible thing. The most incredible thing is that in the scriptures, there's this story about the loaves and the fish. Mm. You don't want to be, do, and, and, and you know, the disciples are with Yeshua and they say, oh my gosh, there's so many people here. Do we have enough loaves and fish to feed everybody? He said, just keep bringing the loaves and the fish out and God will take care of you and provide. And God provided. And to a certain extent, guys, your sukkah is the same way because it's in the front yard. I mean, it's not a baseball field, but it's amazing that the more people who come in, the more room there is. Go figure that out. So Linwood and Audrey, would you raise your hands? And, and uh, is, is your sukkah open to, to everybody here? Yeah, wow, wow. Well, let me take a look. Okay. <laughs> 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 not the same night. Amen! <laughs> Amen! We've got seven nights of this festival. So if you want to come under the sukkah, under the booth, to experience the Feast of Tabernacles, as the Israelites did thousands of years ago, please see Linwood and Audrey after the service. See if you get something after all. Amen. Let me send you out with a blessing tonight. Once again, so glad you're here. And uh, uh, as I send you out with this blessing, it comes from the book of Numbers, chapter 6, verses 24 through 26, the priestly blessing or the Aaronic benediction. I will say it over you first in the English, and then I will sing it over you in the original Hebrew and one of the earliest known Hebrew chants, and we will end our service that way. A good yontif, by the way, to you all. And so come, have an easy fast, and to each and every one else come. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord our God lift up his countenance upon you, and may he grant you his peace. <laughs> Ve'ish 